All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. We are back again with the captain, Mr. Andy Full. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigbrett. Andy, what's going on, man? Uh, it's just another glorious Tuesday evening, and we have Kyle on again. So that's going to be fun. It's been a little bit. I think the last time he was on, um, we had his like buddy he, that he was fishing like the local derbies with before he went to the Opens. Let's let's put an asterisk on that. He may have been technically fishing, yes. He was winning every local derby with, which let's, yeah. put, the, let's yeah. put the real definition in there. Yes, yes. I think uh, I think Kyle achieved the status, especially on a few of our lakes here in central New York, where uh, if you've pulled up to the ramp on Saturday morning, people are like, damn it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Cuca Lake is like, yep, I'm not fishing a tournament there because I don't want to deal with Kyle. Yeah. Like, well, we're just going to give you our deposit. Yeah. <laughs> here you go, bud. Yeah, I'm going to go home now and have some fun. <laughs> well, it's funny you say it again because it literally was like two years ago. Yeah. Um, but it feels like a few weeks back that we had him on. Regardless, we're pumped because if he was like, I don't know, we're, we're going to have to ask him when we get him on here again. If he's technically Virginia or if he's New York, we're going to claim him regardless. But yeah, uh, one of the boys from New York that uh, it, it's just cool to see one of the, one of the guys that are on the same lakes, same circuits where you fish, doing well and making it, making it big. Because, uh, I mean, what was how long ago was I started working for Douglas? It was like. I can't even remember four, four years yeah, ago, four years ago, but that's when I met Kyle. And I remember then like had big dreams of it and literally just put everything on the line. We're going to get into that, which it's yeah. come full circle, which has been super cool. To we see. can't say that he's just a dreamer, right? Like so many people fall into, you have categories of dreamers and doers. And he went from the dreamer to an absolute doer. And it's, it was cool to watch like his entire journey. Uh, I would, I would honestly bucket that. This is gonna be great to get him on and actually talk about this. But there's there's two categories of dreamers. There's people that are actually willing to do something about it, which yeah. is Kyle. And then there's there's people that just stay dreaming. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't do anything about it. But I mean that that goes for a lot of people. That's for a lot of these guys that are making it to the professional level. And there's there's been I'm sure there's guys that are like that that have been trying for 10 years and haven't been. Yeah. But regardless, it, it's just cool to watch because when the people are closer to you and you can see that journey. A little bit more intimately um it's it's a pretty cool thing to see uh and, and talk about which is exactly what we're gonna do tonight so with that being said let's get them on here in a second uh before we do that quick reminder to you guys the uh project purple giveaway we're doing to raise funds for pancreatic cancer still going on you have 14 days uh on the 21st we're gonna be going live for our thanksgiving special and on that night, we'll announce the winners. The links to that will be in all the show notes for MP3 as well as YouTube. Um, so you guys can head over there and enter. Super easy, guys. You can enter a dollar for one entry. You can enter $10 for 10 entries. And regardless of what it is, that money, all of it, 100% is going towards the fight on pancreatic cancer. And you can win a 100, uh, 100 amp X2 power lithium battery, uh, a giant Berkeley Bates package, some custom baits. Uh, as well as some serious angler swag and, and some more stuff as well. So pretty pretty cool prize pack, and your everything is going towards a, a good cause. So please make your way over there if you can. Obviously, we're not if you if you're unable, totally understand that it's with people within your means. If you can lend a few bucks, it's much appreciated. Um, in that same thought, rec lending giveaway. I don't know if you guys have been uh, been able to see that, but they're giving away over ten thousand dollars 
in cash and prizes. Uh, and it's pretty dang easy to sign up. I'm pretty sure you just throw your email in there and you're mm-hmm. ready to rock for that giveaway. We'll have that link down below as well. That one's good until like January 6th. So we're going to be bucking your guys' ear about that until January 6th. Uh, and last but not least, Andy, I don't know if you saw this. Omnia Fishing has started their Black Friday sale now. Oh, I think I saw an email on that and I haven't had a chance to go back to it, but I'm sure there's insane deals because every month they're running an insane deal. So yeah, yeah, I I, uh, I texted Trevor Lowe and I was like, bro, no heads up because now the one thing I wanted to get is sold out. So I'm like, whatever. But either way, 20% off site wide. What was that one thing you wanted to buy? Don't worry about it, bro. Uh, don't you're worry about doing it. me dirty over here <laughs> doing me dirty but nonetheless 20 percent off site-wide head over to omni efficient uh and hit that up uh obviously i don't think our code will be very of use to you guys being here getting 20 percent off everything just head over there support the folks that support us uh, as well as there's 50 percent off all outcasts right now Ooh. actually sorry select icast let me reboot uh and then 25 percent off lose uh, so if you want to get some rounds of reels for for the lose. Uh, some pretty cool sales going over at Omnia Fishing. But uh, Andy, I think without further ado, nah, keep them waiting. Keep them waiting. He's <laughs> <laughs> been waiting long enough, right? Got <laughs> 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 things to do. Yeah. Uh, without further ado, I'm overriding you, Captain. Uh, we're bringing him on here, Mr. Kyle Patrick. What's going on, oh, dude? Boys, surreal being back on. Thanks for the kind words about Cuca locally. Yeah. I will note. And this is something that I have said and I will continue to say that what's cool about upstate New York and fishing up here is that I really like it came so fast. Right. And I really credit a lot of my success to all of you guys, because every people don't realize how like the every tiny little piece of knowledge you gain how crucial it is in, you know, everyone knows like one fish means the difference between making it and not just ask Kyle Austin or any of the guys that came really close. Right. And like those little things matter so much. So each little piece of information that I got at every tournament, whether it was, you know, running the eerie events with Douglas talking to you, Destin, you know, both of you, Destin, whoever it is, all these little things, I feel like I'm good at adding them up and growing my knowledge on that one topic that someone told me at some point. And so credit goes to friggin' New York because I wouldn't, you know, fishing so, all around is it's awesome. So and we're it, able to claim you from New York. So you're not going to put Virginia. I'm in New York now, man. I'm, I'm a no, but I don't really have, you know, a, a, I, New York's my home. That's, that's hey, it says good. New York on Bassmaster. So I think they, yep. they stuff the yep. for them. Perfect. But it is surreal to be on here after, you know, I think I was on after the 2020 team championship at Harris Chain. That's like what it was. was. I knew yeah. it was a while ago. Yeah, man. When you said two years, I'm like, no way. It's more than two years ago. Because, yeah. See, this is the one thing that I'll say that I hate about podcasting is that there's so many people that I love talking to, like yourself, that, like, you get down the road and you get different people on because you try to balance out having – recurring guests to having new guests and then all of a sudden you're like you scroll or you get a text from a buddy and you see something and you're like holy crap i had that guy on forever like i'd love to get him back out but it's like it's, it's like you build this rolodex and it's like it's so hard to uh, you know what though everything happens for a reason because it, it is cool to be back on knowing that i made the elites 
not talking about like, you know, wanting the dream. Like I, it's just cool to see. Cause that was my, believe it or not, that was my first ever Bassmaster, like sank, like Bassmaster event. The first ever time yeah. I fished Bassmaster was that team championship. And that was from Empire Team Trail. So like, it's a cool kind of, you know, uh, I guess timeline and how it yeah. all played. Dude, that's freaking cool, though. I mean, did you you never probably would have thought three years later you're on the Elite Series? No, I knew I, I knew I was going to try. I knew I was going to try. That's what I knew. I knew I was going to try, and that's all you can really do. I think you just have to. I mean, I've you know, I people like, I I guess the one chirp I have people like think I'm super jacked up, which I am. Like I'm always pumped. But I think that helps me a lot because I can hyper focus for like all my energy goes into bass fishing. Yeah. Like when I'm not like I stay awake at night thinking about, you know, things. That I think I your, uh, your Bassmaster photo says it all. <laughs> pull it up. That's I, what I'm doing. Hold right? on, hold on, hold on. Before you pull it up, I will say to everyone, <laughs> they got me with the flash, dude. I They took a picture and I was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> the audacity of whoever decided to post that as my picture. I'm like, gosh, dang it, man. I literally look Dude, like googly eyes. Yeah, I look like, you know, you know, late night fraternity. <laughs> you look like you deer, have... in, deer in headlights, man. Speaking of deer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Well, now let's see if I can get this full blown here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I'll, I'll reenact it. Yeah, but, yeah, pretty. <laughs> hey, Kyle, how do you feel about making the the Best Master Elite Series? And no words, just that face. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. Headlights. Headlights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you gotta get the eyes though with it. Like, oh yeah, like... man. Oh, dude. We already got we got coral in the com- in the yeah, comments. Great question. Fire questions, but I, I gotta say one thing before we start rolling into it, because I already know it's going to be some pretty damn good conversation tonight. Uh, I preluded a little bit on a previous episode, but dude, do you remember the first time we met? Well, I shouldn't say the first time we fished together. We met yep. at uh, Douglas. You want to know what? I know. I remember. I met you. Oh, God. It wasn't Kinesis. Was it Kinesis? No, Honey Oi. Uh, no, not Honey Oi. I thought Oi. we met at Douglas HQ. You you sure? on a Remember when we went and fished that lake and you snapped Jimmy, my partner, Jimmy O'Brien? Remember you snapped his rod and you're like, oh, like, we'll, we'll get you another one. And I was like, Jimmy, don't worry about it. You remember that? Was that Kinesis? We went out on the water, the three of us. Yeah, I remember because I want to say it was Canisius because Canisius. I, this is when I had a feeling that either one, Kyle Patrick's a psychopath. Or two, he's got something else. Have like, you looked uh, at that picture on Bassmaster? Yeah. I mean, certified. He's, he's, he's not the elite, so there's got to be. Yeah. It could be a mix of both. It could be a mix of both. Uh, but I remember sitting there. You're like, dude, this place looks really good. I don't know why we're not catching anything. And you straight up just strip your shirt off, your like shoes and everything, put on goggles and jump in and start swimming around the grass and everything at the bottom. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at your. I'm looking at Jimmy like. This normal? Does he do this like all? he does it every every practice? <laughs> and you know, it was like he just kept going like it was nothing happening. Dude, on that note, I was so obsessed with bass fishing that dude, I must have been 14. I was such a weirdo. It was like I played soccer and like, I played soccer in college, right? So like I had a normal life, but then 
like, uh, like, you know, somewhat normal. And then the minute the water got warm enough and I could fish and I could swim, I would catch fish. And I was so in like enthralled and like curious about bass that I created, I went down to the lake and I created a pen, like a giant. And I put chicken wire all around and I made this structure. It was probably 50 yards. Okay? Sounds illegal. It was that's my grandmother's house. What? That's how you're winning those derbs? No, no, <laughs> this, is what, this is when I was like 13, 14 years old. And I would catch them out of my blue canoe and I'd put them in there and I would feed them. Okay. And when I would feed them, I would go under with a snorkel and just watch them. Dude, I'd watch these fish for like two and three hours. My parents were like, what is this kid doing? Like, this is certified. Absolutely- <laughs> so, like, I'd watch them for like a day because they need to get acclimated and then I would release them. But I just liked the idea of like catching a fish, learning about it. And then like watching it go. And that's kind of how I got into tournament fishing. Cause I, I would catch fish off my dock and then I would be like, dang, like I, I want to do more to this fish. Like I don't want to eat it, but like, I want to like put it somewhere and like, you know, like <laughs> put it in your pocket, Kyle. Yeah. Like, I, pocket, I just love bass so much. And that's how it sort of happened. Just speaking of like diving in the water with goggles. That's awesome. That's great. There is you know a that, lot. You know, that TikTok sound where it's like straight to jail. Yeah. yeah, that's what you do with those fish. Just <laughs> comments. So Anthony says you're the dude who mentored Pete Gluzak on swimming with the fish. <laughs> no, no, but honestly, what's his name? The guy who does all that like free diving. He works for MRS. No, Rob Matsura. Yep, he does it up here. His content is super cool, and that's what it reminds me of. Like it's just cool to see fish like. Dude, acting, yeah. like being, you know, do you remember that's my, that's my bucket show, list. Hook and look. Yeah. I told Rob this that uh free diving with smallmouth in St. Lawrence is now on my bucket list with him. Doesn't it look so cool? It's awesome. Like, oh my gosh. It looks it amazing. But we do gotta get to some of these questions because it's it, I'm dying to know the answers here. Uh and obviously you know Alex Coral, one of the dang mega hammers here in yeah. New York. Yeah. Uh, and he says, with your experience in the opens, what would be your top three tips you can give it, give to somebody approaching practice on foreign body of water? Wow. That's a good, that's a good question. I think my key was, I found it really difficult for like, perfect example. Let's just take Ozarks, right? Cause I won there and it's, it's such a complicated fishery because it's so big, so vast. There's docks everywhere. I, you know, first of all, obviously research matters a ton, but I think breaking down a section and so say you have five days to practice because that's the opens. Mm -hmm. Like the first two days, I have five zones as the Canadians call them, zones, freaking zones. No, I I have five zones where I kind of, I, I mosey around. I look at the bank. I look at the contours. I graph a little bit and I, I hop around quite a bit. I mean, a lot of people would disagree with this tactic. I don't know how it's going to work on the elites. I haven't really dialed that in yet, but I, I, I am sporadic in my first couple of days of practice, just jumping around and seeing as much as I can in the areas that I've identified prior to practice. Right. And time after time, I find myself hunkering down in areas, especially on largemouth fisheries 
where there is elongated flats. Like, you know, when I say elongated flats, like not, not, you know, sharp drop-offs, right? Like something that comes off the bank and it, it, you know, maybe gets to like 18 foot and it just keeps at 18, 19, maybe 20, because a lot of the times, you know, and this is with live scope in mind, obviously. I mean, regardless, live scope 360, it doesn't matter what you're using. It, it could be 2D, but it's really easy to graph that and break down where the fish are. And a lot of times they're roaming there. It's just, I find that the, the flatter areas of the lake in less than 25 foot are the most productive areas to kind of start in. Um, I don't know if that answered your question all the way. I kind of got carried away, but um, so the first, I, I guess the first would be identify one area and mine were flatter areas in that body of water. Um, two would be, you know, don't spread yourself out too much. Like that's a big, big factor. Everyone will tell you that these lakes are huge. Like I think Ronnie Moore was telling me like there's like 75,000 docks on Lake of the Ozark. So if that gives you an idea of how big the lake is, like that's an actual number. That's not like, oh, there's 75,000 docks on this lake. No, there is 75,000 docks on the lake. That's very overwhelming. Yeah. So that's one thing that you can really easily do is you maybe not get a ton of bites in practice. So you keep moving around. I found that you know, hunkering down, not spreading yourself too thin is a key factor because regardless, there's fish there. And in an open, you don't need to win everyone. Like you just need to catch five quality bass a day. And believe it or not, I think the average this year to make it, I think you needed, I want to say 14 pounds a day, which is rare because it was crazy this year. Usually it's like 12 or 13. So really try to learn the section of the lake you're most confident in. Don't spread yourself out. Um, and then, I mean, I think the last one is just, you know, don't try to overcomplicate like your bait selection and all that. I know there's a ton of stuff on the market to, you know, buy and tinker with, you know, Demiki jig, uh, crank baits, you know, glide baits, big swim bait. I mean, it goes on and on. I literally made the Elite Series this year on, we'll call it three baits. I, I don't think I, I actually generally don't think I caught another fish on any other bait. And it showed with some sketchy results in some areas where like a big crankbait played and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. missile baits, magic worm on a drop shot, mm-hmm. a three quarter ounce jig, a greenfish tackle jig. Um, I have a link on a YouTube video if you want to check it out with a chunky D missile baits trailer. So any, like, you know, a jig, a drop shot and um, a Sanko. Like that, like that, I think a lot of guys and that I can say that's a big, that's third, but not, you know, the least important is stay with with what you're confident with. Like confidence is so huge. And, you know, obviously don't force a bite if it's not there, but I think a lot of times you can crush on two or three lures, you know, I mean, Look at some of the success guys have had with just one bait. I mean, take a Demiki, for example. I mean, you can throw a Demiki, especially before facing sonar, I think pretty much the entire year and probably make the elites if you do it right. 
when we had Gussie on, he said basically everywhere on the schedule besides Florida, he tried throwing a Demiki. But after however Rivet won on Okeechobee, he might try throwing a Demiki next year. That I know. It's like so. Yeah, I mean that's it. I mean, don't get too. Yeah. I think those three are are the most crucial the crucial things. I hope that answers yeah. your question. Not conforming to the what you should be doing. Right, and I've done it. Everyone gets trapped in it, right? I mean, I mean, I talk to people. Right. And like you try to maybe do something and you find yourself just getting spun out. Like there's, you know, stick to what you're confident with, you know, um, identify bot like areas that you think are good and then, you know, break them down like really, really well. Like one fish means everything. Like if you can graph an extra 10 minutes, um, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Like if you can graph for an extra 10 minutes and find one little, stick up that you think could have a fish on it mark it fish it like learn it that's yeah that's a great point i mean do you think the majority of guys in the opens are doing that spending most of their practice graphing like is that kind of the mantra i think the top 30 in aoi did i can't speak for the rest but you know i i i think the top 30 certainly did i don't know if we lost bailey but yeah, we may have lost him for a second. It tends to happen from time to time. Oh, he's there he is. Yeah. Um, did you hear me, Bailey? I did. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Um, fans chiming in. Kyle Patrick is the man. Thanks, dude. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm that. Yeah, that's. I don't tend to think of myself as the man. I'm just a jacked up, you know. <laughs> fishing junkie but um, tell. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. but i mean I, th- I feel like that's smart because i feel like even if you're the full game plan isn't to go offshore or anything like that i feel like the opens there is a relative issue of people sticking fish at that level in practice oh, Oh, it's crazy, man. Five days is way too much. You I think those fish are pretty pressured by Dude, I tried. Like, like I said, like people were like, oh, live scope's the only reason, bro. I I love shallow fishing. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I try it every event. And every single time the bank is so beat up, you can hardly catch fish. Like the problem it becomes this though. It might not be, I know, I know of many guys that still blow me away. They're like, oh, I had. 22 pounds. I caught a three. I'm like, why? Like if you, if you pitch up against a shallow brush, like say you see a little brush pile sticking up on Hartwell, you flip a jig over there, you get bit and it's moving like out to deep water and it feels heavy. Why on earth would you set the hook? You know, it's a bass, right? Like what, 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 why do you have a hook on? Right. Right. Like this. And, and, and now the flip side of it is, you know, if you stick one in an area, you you do tend to want to see the size, um, you know, but if 15 or 20 guys go stick one, that's 20 fish caught. So that's where you run into issues where, you know, if there's one grass stretch, it's really good and it's somewhat obvious and it's shallow and it's um, visible. I mean, I tend to stay away. Like a lot of the times in the opens, I mean, I guess that's another piece of advice for practice. Like, the most obvious stuff it can sometimes play, but more often than not, I mark it as like 
I'll go fish this in the tournament. I don't even need to like, if it's on the way to one of my spots or something, I don't even need to go even fish it. Like I'll just run in there and fish it. If I think it's, you know, the right timing or whatever, but I try to stay away from the obvious spots because I think it's a waste of time and practice to get confident in an area where, you know, people are just going to stick them and, you know, then you go there on day one, start, and you don't catch a bass. See, this is why I love the comparison between anglers because, uh, was a month ago, Andy, we had John Garrett on and he was like, I go to the biggest community holes in the lake. First thing. Yeah. But the difference is he's offshore. The bank. Oh, okay, so we're talking straight up the obvious. We're talking shots. on because you said like we were talking about the bank, like yeah, yeah. You know, like a stretch that has logs and grass and it looks amazing on the bank. I stay away unless I, I mark it right. It's like gotcha. the Brian. Offshore is a different game because that you can go to the biggest community in the world if you're a better live scoper and you have a better cadence and presentation, you can outfish everyone in the area. Hmm. And that's why I'll stick to offshore too. Like there was a hump out in front of the launch at Ozarks, the most obvious hump in the world. You could have a graph, you could have a paper map and see this hump plain as day, okay? I bet you 50 fish were caught off it in the tournament and everyone knew about it. And it's all about presentation. The fish were so pressured that they were there. And I think John Garrett, if I'm not mistaken, caught fish off that to get his top 10. Like, and it's obvious, but it's not as easily like beat up as a bank spot because, right. you know, people aren't hitting into the wood or the rock um, uh, with their trolling motor and spooking fish or, you know, there's so many variables with shallow fishing that, you know, with 225 boats beating it up, it's, it's hard to have that as like a secure and, you know, like dependable pattern in the opens. Yeah. Well, so with that, like having your strategy, how did you find consistency in that? Because third year, your third year in the opens. Yeah. Second year, all nine first year was like, you know, I mixed in one division as a boater. Right. And I learned that. Yeah. So, so with that, like, how did, did you have something different you started out with and then adjusted to your current strategy or is that just something that you found or you've done since the start and it's just, no. yeah, that's a good question. So first year I did some marshalling, some co-angler stuff. And that's when I really gathered all the, you know, patterns and like what people were doing, how they were breaking down bodies of water. Even if it was a guy that finished 200th and I was in the back of his boat, I took something away from that. Right. And like, I tr- did uh, Pickwick, Lewis Smith Lake, and Grand Lake. That, w- that was the central division that year. I had a 170, a one, I mean, two low, one high 100s, so terrible. And then I had like a 58th or 55th or something like that. And every event I fished shallow. And I was like, there's just something off. Like I'm having good practices. And I think that's why you hear a lot of people are like, I had a great practice. Like, my fish must have left. No, dude, your fish didn't leave. They just got hammered. And 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 there weren't the population that you found. It was right. And so the next year, I remember that was the year that I slowly began to become better with my live scope and with my side imaging. 
because I realized like that, like, like we talked about the bank is gets so beat up and there's very little consistency that you can find consistency in isolated targets offshore. And it's the same exact way I fish on the bank. I just translated it to offshore, right? Like you see a log that's down in the water and you flip a jig to either side of it. You flip to the back of it. You flip to the front of it, right? It's the same thing when you're looking at a stump on a hard spot in 18 feet of water. You flip to the front of it. You flip to the side of it. You flip behind it. You drag towards it. Like you're fishing it the same way, but it's just offshore. So all I did was I translated my knowledge, shallow, largemouth fishing to like now using my electronics, fishing the same structure. It's just deep and less obvious. Like that's, that's essentially what I did. And I just learned to find that stuff off the bank, like regardless of the time of year, although time of year does play a lot. Like there are a couple tournaments where you're catching fish on beds in like, you know, 10 plus foot of water, 18, 20. Right. I've, caught us two sixes at Toledo on beds in easily in 18 plus. Um, and I know they were there because in practice I went, I threw my magic worm and dunk, marked that stump started there day one, dunk, six pounder, literally the exact same stump sitting in the exact same spot on the exact same lineup of my boat. Everything was the same. So this this comes full circle. Andy, remember what Keith Tuma was talking about from that event? Mm-hmm. He found fish in like 12 to 14 foot on stumps that he said they think they were spawning. Because you could see like the 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 haziness on the stumps. Right. He thinks those fish were sp- yeah, that they were spawning. Yeah. I mean it, it's freaking it, nice. it's, I know. I'm not yeah, large mouth will spawn on anything that's hard, really. I've seen right. them like when Lake Ontario flooded like six years ago and it was like three foot over its banks, I literally watched largemouth spawn on top of a wooden dock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody. <laughs> so it makes oh. sense. As long oh. as the water's clear enough, right? Like, if yeah. you have sunlight penetration hitting the top of a stump that's in 18 foot of water, like 12 foot down, of course they're going to spawn on it. Like, yeah. And those are usually your biggest fish. Yeah, I mean, they're unpressured and they've been left alone their entire lives until Kyle Patrick and Keith Tuma found out they were spawning on stumps. <laughs> I'm sure there were some more people. Too. Yeah, I mean, Kento, I know Kento. The two that Kento, we know of. Kento is in my area, too. I watched that dude crack him. Like, you know, it's you want to talk about somebody's got the opens dialed. Well, and I'll tell you why, because he finds. This is exactly why Kenta has the open style to a T. I mean, maybe someone could argue. I mean, he's very, obviously he's a absolute hammer, but the reason is, is because there's high pressure on the body of water. He finds B grade areas, spots, sneaky spots and B grade, not like the best spot on the lake, but like a B grade spot. He finds that spot and he catches every fish in the area. And no one else is very, very rarely is Kenta fishing in a crowd. He's found, (laughs) he found the area that is, you know, it doesn't have like the biggest population or the best, but it has little isolated areas that he just throws and there's pressured fish and he, he, he milks it for all it's worth and he catches every fish. 
and he, and he will fish he will fish community holes and outfish every single person. There could be 25 boats at, on a hump and he will limit out before any of them do. I don't know how you he does it's a technique thing. You think it's I, just it, I, it has to be, dude. It it it's so impressive. Secret it's, sense. I don't I don't know what it is. I think he has so much experience with pressured fish from all his experience in Japan and like, you know, what is it like Biwa, like some of the most pressured fish in the world. And so when he comes to, you know, the when he comes here and fishes, like these lakes are like gold to us. They're pressured to him. He's like, this is easy. You know what I mean? That's what I think. I'm not sure. I don't know him that well, but like, that's my understanding of how he does it. I, I mean, I, I probably, there's probably something I'm missing, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I believe it. Um, do you think that going into your elite series season, mm-hmm. being that the guys are way better at not sticking every freaking fish in practice, do you think your, your shallow game is going to play more into yeah. that? I'm so excited to fish shallow again. I, I can't even tell you. Like, but then part of me, Bailey, is like, do I risk abandoning what got me here to going back and fishing shallow? Like, there's only three days of practice. So I have to be careful with how I attack a body of water in only three days of practice because it doesn't seem like that much of a difference. But like I said, I use two days to really scout yeah. before I – you know, picked it apart. But I, I do think I will have far, uh, I'll have more confidence saying, you know what, that's str- like, I'll be driving down the lake in the tournament. Maybe I have 15 pounds in the well. And I, I'll have more confidence being like, you know, what? I'm going to peel into that cove because, you know, it looks good and it looks right. And I can go in there and maybe catch a four or five pounder because there's a hundred boats. They're big bodies of water. Guys aren't sticking fish constantly in practice. I just feel like that'll it'll be a better vibe. You know what I mean? Like it's a better vibe fishing shallow when eight boat, you haven't watched eight boats go through the same section. I feel like just a little more confident doing, doing it there. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. Fields half the size as well. That always yep. works in your favor Dude. from that standpoint. Um, yeah. For, for the opens and with how one, how competitive and two, how, financially straining they are now do you think somebody going into it never having fished the opens before should be prepared to financially be able to afford two to three years of the opens if they're serious about it being that your first year ever in the opens like you talked about the different learning lessons you've had if they haven't had any prior experience yeah before be prepared to to pay financially for two to three years of opens because your first year might be just straight up learning lesson yeah. of making the mistakes that you need to make. Second mm-hmm. year, you could be fixing those mistakes, but maybe just missing it. Yeah. And try to make it on the third year. Does, does that make any sense? Do you? Yeah, no, it makes tons of sense. I think I was fortunate in my first year to have help from a mentor. So I didn't have as much financial strain. And I also didn't fish a full division. I fished one, one as a boater, the rest, and I paid for that. And the rest was covered for me, which is incredible. Um, not everyone gets that opportunity. And I realize that like, that's, that's huge. Um, but no, I think one thing 
coming from like the local or regional scene to the open is like, like I said, like you have to fish so differently than you're used to. So I think you definitely like, you need to have, I think $60,000 that you're willing to just poof, throw away. Um, Cause if, if, or, or know that that income's coming in throughout the year, right? Like, you know, yeah. have, okay, I'm getting, you know, this amount a month, like I'll be able to swing it. And that's one thing that I was flexible with. Like you guys both know Billy Gilbert. Like I worked for him part, well, as much as I could in between events. And that was super crucial because without that, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Like I, you just can't, cause you can't, that's part of the struggle with the opens. The financial strain is a struggle, but really it's the time off work that I think hurts a lot of people. Like, you know, you got to take time to do all this. Like, and people are like, Oh, well it's only like, you know, nine weeks. No, dude. Like the driving is a day at least on each end. You know, you maybe have sponsorship obligations. Like maybe you have to be at ICAST for three days or, you know, there's certain things like it. It's weird. You're drawing. It's like a fine line between, semi-pro slash pro slash like i don't like you kind of have to go all in almost without going all in you know with the opens whereas the elites like you can go all in like i'm going all in i'm i'm you know doing it full time now all right that's what i'm trying to do and hopefully it works but that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize is like you don't make the elites and instantly have 200 grand coming in your bank account like it's just it's the same struggle you're just at a, you have more of an opportunity. Like it gives you the platform to, yeah. you know. Yeah. Jacob Files put out a pretty hard hitting video today. I don't know if people have seen that. I haven't seen uh, it. Trying to help the dude out. But yeah, I mean, he kind of like tried to give off his experience so far of what it's actually like to be a pro angler and how not every guy has the money rolling at him and, where something I think you did really well that I feel like we've had random conversations on and off about uh, was you went hard on social media. Started Real man out. of genius. That's all I <laughs> You've had some fi- uh, fire content. Um, it's helpful, but go ahead, Bailey. Sorry. No, no, you're good. I, I was going to say, I mean, somebody like him that, you know, and he, he acknowledges it. And we talked about it. I talked with him today uh, of guys that just focus on the fishing part and, nowadays how it's changed in regards to priorities to brands that pay you the money is that he's only made seven grand from sponsor money in the past two years. Everything else has come out of pocket. That's what he said verbatim in his video. And that's, that's pretty tough to hear. And I feel like if anything, for guys that are coming up now, that should be a kick in the butt. That blows my mind. See? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think I'm fortunate in that I've, like when I met you at Douglas, that was the first, when I started that tournament trail, mm-hmm. um, I sort of got the the picture of the industry in a, but I, I was able to like, I, I, I realized at a younger age that, you know, like I was talking to you on the phone earlier, like I always, my whole life, and this is why it's been weird for me to get calls from sponsors or, or, you know, or have money, you know, people say, oh, you know, we want to give you X amount this year. 
like my whole life, I've always said to people, companies, you know, uh, like Douglas, like I've always said, this is what I want to do. I want you to pay me like a salary or I want to do this work for you. And then at the end, I'll assess and see what we can do for next year based on my performance. Like it's always been performance-based value added first. And I, I don't even want to go all into this. I just had a talk over with Hella Bass about this, but like yeah. that's something that people need to pick up on and they need to do it quickly because you, you, it's not like you can save 60 grand and spend it all and you get a 40th place finish in every open. You make the elites and you have no money. Like they're not throwing, you're not getting your entry fees paid for just because you make the elites. Like no. there is so much backend work that you have to do to make it feasible yeah. that that's one lesson that people have to like quickly pick up on is it's, just jumping in the opens is cool and all, but you have to be prepared on the back end to make that happen or else it'll be a stressful and frankly, unenjoyable road, like for yeah. the, for the season. Cause you don't want to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? You don't want to be, you don't want to make the elites and then be in an uncomfortable financial situation that just compounds into you not doing well, because then like, what's the point of even making it? Like you achieve your dream and then it's kind of like, mm. everything. Well, yeah, I think Bassmaster realized that too, right? And that's why they went to the nine events and that's the only way you can qualify and got rid of the divisions because they had so many people, not every one of them, but a lot of people that would qualify through like one of the divisions halfway through the rookie year if they're not doing good dropout or not come back after the first year or no. they're out after two because they're not diversified enough in – fisheries all across the country that they fail after two years because they finished 97th on an average point finish. Like, right. Right. But also it, not prepared sponsorship wise too, because yeah. that's the biggest yeah. thing like the fishing. Yeah. But I think that, you know, being able to do all nine opens shows that, okay, you either have flexibility with your job where you can sustain this, or you have enough, you know, support partnership, sponsorship support. Yeah, exactly. But circling back to your point, like the the thing that Kyle and I talked about today on the phone was for some people, it's very hard to ask for money. Like we were born and raised in families where you, you were taught to not ask for money. You worked for it. But I feel like right now when it comes to not even just pro anglers, just the industry in general, because there's, there's, there's pro anglers, there's influencers, you have hybrid hybrids of the two. You have different people that provide value to brands. And I feel like when you're starting out, it's okay to provide value before you get repayment or compensation yeah. for that. But I feel yeah, like there's, there's a point in time. Yeah. I mean, but there's a point in time, like right now, like you, you've what you've beyond crossed that threshold where it's like, you've already proven that you provide value. Now it's something where it's like, if you talk to a new brand or something like that, let's talk like two way street here because yeah. you can see, here's my resume. Here's the things I've done. I can right. obviously bring value. Now let's it's a, but that's a two way street where people yeah. need to the one thing hurting the industry is and this has been talked this is regurgitated information but it makes sense in this conversation that it's too many people out there that are paying companies to make companies money they're taking these discount deals that yeah. all they do they might think it's oh I'm saving money but no you're just making that company money for free advertisement yeah you're getting nothing and that, that ultimately I, I deal with that I deal with that 
with three companies. So powerhouse Douglas KK, I deal with that internal sort of, and I watch it. Like I can, I know what's going on and it, it is not good. It is really not good. The amount of emails I get daily about deals, 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 deals. And it's like, how do you turn down someone that wants a 10% discount? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, so I don't blame the companies, right? You can't oh, blame no, the It's not the brand's fault. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know how we got to this point. How did we, how did, in the industry, like, why, why is this been, why is this a thing where people just, I fish, you know, X, Y, or Z local or, and, and expect a deal. That's what I don't, how did we get there? I think it is similar to. Uh oh, Bailey froze. No, um. So, like, in my personal opinion, and I'm not throwing shade at any companies here or anything, right? Like, it all started in like 2016, 2017. A lot of companies were coming out and they want to move products, so they're like, if you sign up for a pro staff, yada yada, you get 10 percent right. discount. And I think that's where it enabled a ton of people, and everybody started not feeling entitled, but they're like, oh, I can apply here. And now I got to get this 10% discount from said rod company or said tungsten company or said soft plastic manufacturer that was like under the table. And it forced a hand on a lot of other bigger companies that they were afraid that these people would just buy directly from them that it forced their hand. Now they're like, oh, you know, let's give everybody 10% pro staff spots. But there's a lot of other things that happen there too, especially some of the rod companies that did it. They raised prices to offset that 10% discount. Yeah. So they're yeah. still making the full price and, getting, and feeding off of all these quote unquote pro staffers. And everyone's like, yeah, I'm a pro staffer. I'm a pro. And it's like, no, you're promotional staff and you're paying full price for a product <laughs> that was inflated yeah. 125%. So who's like, we, we all fell victim to it at some point, but it's like, yeah. who's the joke? I guess now? it's a good marketing strategy, but oh, 100%, yeah, for, it's a great way brand, to make more money for, for a brand. It's a good thing. And <clears throat> really fast. I apologize people. I will figure out this internet issue. It's driving me freaking nuts. <laughs> it's not even a Wi-Fi thing anymore. Dude, like you're a, in the middle of a good, you were about to make a really good point, And then I, yeah. it was just, and I was like, yeah, oh. I still got it. I still got it. But like, even my, my cell service has dropped. I've dropped several calls today. It's super weird, but either way, my, my point was, and hopefully it doesn't kick me off here. Uh, I think when you compare it to when this started becoming a thing, social media was becoming more and more popular and it's a glamor thing. It's a status because when you yeah. think about it, it's the same thing as like when you join varsity and you get that Friday night lights feel where it's like, you feel like one of the big time pros now. It's like, that's what it's kind of thing. Like, it's like, oh, I'm on a pro staff. It's a status. I'm getting something cheaper than you because I work with this company. It's yeah. it's any sort of quote unquote bragging, right? That you can have that you're affiliated with a brand. I think it's, it's a glamour thing, which is what started yeah. the craze. And it just made people go nuts. And when you knew the sport, you see these people doing that. And you realize how sometimes it's pretty damn easy when you go online and apply for a tungsten brand that takes everybody and their mother and you can get a discount on stuff and you get stickers and a, a shirt that says pro staff. Like it's a, it's a status thing, man. It, it's all it is. It is. This yeah. is what it makes up. It's a perfect pro staffers. They're, they're not pro staffers. They're bro staffers. Yeah. That's so. what you should do, Andy. That's a t-shirt bro staffer. And you have a, a frat party with guys in, in fishing jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and that's, 
that I think that's ultimately where it probably started was like in 2012 fishing jerseys, right? Where f- you were fully able to get your hand on a fishing jersey and just slap whatever logo you wanted on it. Like these clubs and organizations like, yeah, we're going to have jerseys. And then you'd see guys, these aren't the ones that make me laugh. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pro staff and I have striking. I have Berkeley. I have Abu Garcia and Lou's all on the same jersey. And I'm like, bro. <laughs> like, and then they'll have some like random soft plastic that their buddy makes out of their garage. And then like, like aggressive insurance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Chevy and Ford. It's the people like they have like Shimano or like, dude, you don't even talk to anybody at Shimano. <laughs> you, so they have Shimano price. on their jersey <laughs> and they use all Lou's reels. Like, yeah. But then again, like you can I, I you can make fun of them, but at the same time. It's sort of like I feel bad because when I was, I guess it's an age thing. Like when I was 15, I was excited about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like that was something that I genuinely was like, okay, cool. Like I get like 20% off this. Like I'm fishing out of my tracker bass boat with a 40 horsepower and I have a sticker on the side and I earned that sticker because I emailed this company at, at, at a certain, there has to be a learning curve. And I think that's all part of it, right? Like you email the company, you apply, they're teaching you how to like reach out. So there's a fine line between, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. just, to, just to play devil's advocate on the other side. of, of yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not all bad, right? It's the fact that I think the bad part of it is Ultimately, most people don't understand what their actual agreement is with those companies. And ultimately, it one, it's hard to keep track of. It, and two, it makes it harder for other people to get a legitimate deal that yeah. deserve it. Yep, 100%. 100%. Well, let's, let's change topics because we got a few more minutes here. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious from yeah, you got to get the Tennessee suit, so we want to hear this story as well. Oh, oh shoot, yeah. <laughs> All right, really fast before we get into the old the Tennessee story. Um, I'm curious, lowest point of the season and highest point of the season. Obviously, I think we can assume what the highest, but yeah, from um, your point of view, lowest and highest point of the season. Lowest the point of the season was the St. Lawrence River, hands down, and it wasn't about the finish. It was about, I felt like I could jet. That was a tournament where I was like, it was one of the few tournaments all year where I was like, you know what? I feel pretty confident, like in a top 50. You never can say, oh, I'm going to top 10 or top 20 because these guys are so good. Like you can't assume anything, right? Like you could be on 14 pounds a day. You go out and catch 14 pounds a day and you think you're a hero. And then you come in, for example, like on Ufala. When I had like, I think I had like 15 pounds a day one. I was like, and then I come in and like, it's just like 24 or 27 or whatever it was all the way down to like 18 was like 30th. And I'm like, oh God, I suck. But like, <laughs> it was about like, it, it, what it was about was I, I felt like I was genuinely, genuinely on something. I felt like I was doing the right thing. And I, I didn't capitalize on the bites, which happens to everyone at the St. Lawrence. And day one, I weighed an 18 something or 17 and then high change 18, which isn't a good bag on the St. Lawrence, but it's acceptable. Like it's an acceptable, not acceptable to me, but like it's an acceptable not acceptable like, failure. Yeah, like you're not out of it type deal. Yeah. And then day two, the conditions changed, and I knew 
like as I'm fishing, I know I'm doing the wrong thing, like in my head, but I didn't act on it. And that's what pit bothered me for the, a week and a half to come. Like, but did I, you learn from it? Yes. And I, of course I learned from it. I'll never do it again. But it, there was one of those things where I, it just bothered me because I finished 110. I was sitting high in the points. And with that finish, not only did I know it was a mental error on my end, but I thought I was out of it for the elites after that tournament. Cause I dropped to like 20th, maybe. Which little did I know that I mean Milliken would make the most ridiculous comeback ever, but like like anything's possible in the opens. But when you have such a bad finish with only three left, you're like, gosh, man, like it kind of took the wind out of my sails um, because of a mental error, not because mm. like, and that's what bothered me. It was like in my control, like I knew in the moment I was doing the wrong thing, and I still didn't act on it. Like it's one thing to look back, that's you know what I mean? and be yeah. like. Okay, I should have done that. No, no, like I knew, <laughs> and it was just a bummer. Um, and then obviously winning, it's, there's nothing like it. I've never felt so confused, happy. Like I, I it's, it is unbelievable. I think. And Casey Smith texted me pictures and videos of him in the classic, and he's like, "Just wait, like, oh, <laughs> just, just yeah. like." He's like, just wait. I'm like, oh my god, it looks so sick. But like, there was, there was something pretty cool, man. Not to interject your conversation here, but like, when, because I, I kind of got a cool stance of what I do full time that I got to kind of take a back seat to some of it, and watching him go off and blast off that morning, and then seeing all the New York boys in the stands and seeing that from afar. Yeah. I guess obviously there's an intimacy there because it's local. It's our yeah. our buddies, our network. It was pretty damn cool, man. And I'm excited yeah. to see that with you too. It's gonna be Yeah. Awesome. No, I'm I'm so excited. But no, I Casey called me up and he was like chatting me about it. Cause I from I don't I think I'm the Casey said I'm the ninth from New York to qualify for the classic. Because there was a bunch like way back in the day. Like, and then I don't know to make the elites. I know Jamie Hartman did and a few other guys, maybe two so or yeah, Schwank back, you have Met Spar. But did Schwankbeck um, ever fish classic? I I know he won. I believe he won an open, so he may have fished a classic. I know one of the guys from New York fished the classic and then passed away on a plane ride like two or three months later. And I think he won. Uh, Dude, look this up. I, I'm almost certain he's from New York. He won the classic. The qualifier for the classic won the classic and then passed away in a plane crash like – Maybe a month later. Somebody's in the I, chat here that knows this top of their head. Yeah, I mean, um, looking right now. Hmm. I got the classic winners pulled up. I think it was in the news. I, I mean, I don't want to waste too much time on it, but no, you're good. We'll keep going. I'm gonna text Ken Duke because this is some shit he would know. Uh, so I found it right here. Brian Kirkall. Kershaw? The, Kershaw? Yeah. the the fish whistle? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't he from New York or no? I have no idea. Anyway, yeah, he passed away. Yeah, from New York, man. Oh wow. He and he won the classic and then and then passed away. Super sad. Anyway. Um, but yeah, no, it was cool to hear from Casey because he is obviously someone I looked up to in New York as like, holy smokes, he just 
like, you know, has had crazy success on the FLW side, won this open. And now he's in the classic. I was like, wow. Like, like it is possible. You know, when you see someone do it, that, you know, locally that it brings a little bit more, and it'll never bring the real like feeling of doing it, but like, it brings you just a little bit closer. You know, it brings you just yeah. a little bit closer to like, okay, this is possible. And I think that's what was so confusing about my win is it, I didn't take it in because you never think it would ever happen to you. Meanwhile, you're trying, right? Like you can't really envision it well. It's, it's uh, they call it imposter syndrome. It's when you think that uh, you're not actually where you're at, like that's but you didn't deserve it. But from the outside looking in, like we obviously see that you deserve it. But like from your side, it's like kind of hard to believe. At least, yeah, in that yeah, it is. I can't. Yeah, I can't wrap my head around it. I will when Dave Mercer is like announcing me. Uh, I will freak out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I think still a fanboy. That's what a lot of people don't realize. Like I really am still a fanboy. Well, that was going to be my next question. Was uh, which three guys are you going to be most nervous to meet on the on the elites? You probably met most through the open. I met most. Yeah, I, I'll say when I first met, I literally the first time the first elite series pro I met was Gerald Swindle. And I was staying with him that week, and I'm at my mentor. He was friends with the guy that mentored me and helped me pay for everything, right? And I, Gerald pulls up in his like rap tundra and and both and i'm just in the driveway and i think i'm like 21 at this point and i'm just like oh my gosh like this is insane and he gets out and he's just the same person i'm like oh like it is unbelievable like i was in awe but no i mean i i still am like nervous i think greg hackney is one of my like li- like all-time favorite dudes like his personality, his excitement, the way he fishes his jig. Like, I, I just love everything about Hackney. And, like, he to this day, like, whenever – like, I saw him at the gas station in Florida. And, like, it was a funny moment. He uh, – because he announced – he was the 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 person that, like, he was helping Ronnie when I won Ozark. So I yeah. pulled into the gas station in Florida after. And, like, I see Hackney's filling up on the other pump. So, like, I pull into the other side of the pump. And Hackney just, like, posh his head out and he goes, Money, 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 baby. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he, he was like, congrats, man. Like, well, we had like a, you know, a two minute conversation and I was just like, holy smokes. That's cool. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's, so cool. <laughs> that's the stuff yeah. you're going to remember forever, man. Oh, forever. Absolutely forever. And like, that's, that's just, just so crazy to me about fishing the elites is like, I am directly fishing against guys that I idolized. Yeah. Idolized. Like far more than, you know, anyone else. It, like th- you think about a kid that idolizes like a Disney channel, like it, it would be the equivalent. Like I-, I lived and died by watching these guys and now I'm fishing against them. So it just feels crazy. Yeah. You know? I'm excited for you, man. That's going to be wicked cool. Me too. Yeah. Um, coming from Ken Duke, here's the official information. Ken Duke okay. approved. Ryan Kershaw won the 1994 Bassmaster Classic as an amateur out of the Federation. Uh, he was 24 when he died in that plane crash five months later, but he was from Connecticut, not New York. Oh, Connecticut. Yep. Borders New York. It's close. Yeah. Same, same. New York. Okay, North 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 North. North. Yeah. 
Yeah. Paul Mueller, he's from New York. Same, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. I mean, uh, and basically, if you fish Candlewood Lake, right? Like, you're basically New York. From New York. Because right. everyone yeah. just kind of commingles there. So, yeah. yeah. I'm sure those states, they don't want to claim us as New York. But, yeah. They don't claim themselves as New York. They don't want that tax. (laughs) Yeah, it's fair point as well. uh, Dude, talk. So we totally intended on doing this at the beginning of the show, but you got on an hour later. Yeah, yeah. You got on an interesting story offline that we stopped you and told you to say it on the show. Um, Oh, you got to go to Tennessee literally right after you get off here. Yeah, so I'm in New York now in Cooperstown, and I'm so (laughs) backstory to this. I'm going to pick up my boat and trailer bringing it back in one day. Like I'll, I'll straight shot it. So I'll leave tonight, drive overnight, pick up the boat, drive back. At, I'll pick up the boat, be out of there by four o'clock. So I'll drive overnight and get here at like 7 a.m. or so. And I, I, I that's how much I love bass fishing. And that's the type, because we're on such a tight schedule that without the passion of bass fishing, who would ever be able to drive overnight, pick up the boat and then drive overnight i might sleep for like two or three hours on the side of the road but like that's the that's what people don't get about having to do this is that all the things to get everything ready is such a substantial amount of like stress and time cut out of your life like i'm doing all of this getting the boat ready pre-fishing for the classic like around thanksgiving the holidays staying away from family but anyway that's that's another note uh but on the way to Watts Bar on day one, I'm like pumped, right? Like, I, I'm like, this is the event. I got to get back on a roll. It was after the St. Lawrence Southern Largemouth Grind Fest. I was like, I'm. this is my derby. Like, I love Southern Largemouth Grinder derbies other than the Red River. Um, and <laughs> uh, I'm driving. And you know that feeling? I was telling you guys, you know that feeling you get when like someone across the room, like across a room or classroom is like, looking at you and you're kind of like like you make weird awkward eye contact and you both kind of look at each other and it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> just like get away from it um i'm driving it's black it's pitch black and my high beams are on so it's like extending out and i all of a sudden get this weird feeling that like something's there and i'm going 60 miles an hour and i look out my passenger windshield and i meet eye to eye with a 10 point buck dude and i'm like oh no and the thing just goes Boom, slams into the side of my F-250, scrapes, flips, scrapes down the side. I have antler shears, like, down the side of my boat, hits my trailer. My fender bends in and breaks two of the bunk, like, welded, like, bunk, like, things that hold my, you know, bunks on. I don't even know what the name would be, but basically blows out, blows out everything. So my, like my, my, I have to like kind of bend my thing back to even get to the ramp. And I call Andy, who's the Phoenix support guy. He's my homie. I love that guy. Um, I'm like, dude, I, is there any way you can get to my trailer while I'm out on the water today for day one to like get it so I can even put my boat back on? Cause the minute I launched my boat, both side bunks were like, and they slid off. So I, I couldn't even load the boat back onto the trailer. Oh, geez. Anyway, long story short, that gets fixed, but that's why it's in Tennessee. Um, and yeah, I just have a whole bunch of stuff to do for the classic um, or for to get ready for the the elites. Like it's it's just a lot of work. Like you know, yeah. it's it's a lot. But 
the yeah, soccer it is, it is, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. It, it, and everyone does it too. Like every single person goes through like dealing with the sponsors, getting everything prepped, the driving, like, and I think people tend to forget when they watch. I, I know I did when I watched Greg Hackney win Cayuga and I was all pumped up. Like you don't really understand the levels that he had to go through to get to that point. Right. Like whether that's climbing the ladder through the opens, the sleepless nights, like there's so much behind the scenes in the sport that you don't really realize. Yeah. I feel like, and that, that goes on. People don't see. Yeah. You're like a full-time business person, right? You're a full-time truck driver and a part-time fisherman. Like it's pretty much the way it works out. Yeah. I mean, I bought my truck with 9,000 miles on it used. And I, after this year, I have 62,000. So, I mean, you're, you're putting about 40 to 50,000 a year on your truck, which is a whole nother financial discussion with factoring that in. Um, it, it's pretty wild. Ken Duke is currently sending me the entire plane details of that crash. Like he has it down to like the plane, the plane flight number. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nuts. That's, if you that is a really sad story, man. Can you imagine getting to the classic alone is a crazy feat in itself. He literally has it down to December 13th, 1994 dies in a commuter plane crash, American Eagle flight three, three, seven, nine, like down to the number. Um, it makes it a little more real. Like I don't. It, <laughs> it sucks, dude. Because it said uh, of the twenty people on board, eighteen passengers, two crew members, fifteen were killed, and five survivors received serious injuries. The cause of the crash was the pilot not following proper uh, procedure following engine failure. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, man. Like he won the classic and then passed away in a plane crash. Holy he was God. on a. He was on his way to do a promotion appearance for Wrangler Jeans. Huh. Nice. How insane is that? That is. They're back in fishing. It's a fishing girl. Huh. That's another whole podcast. Is like the. I mean, if you guys think that information is interesting, you need to listen to the Big Bass podcast with Ken and Terry Batisti. They those two do. Have you listened to that one yet, Kyle? No, I haven't. I highly recommend on your drive, pull up the Big Bass podcast because that has some unbelievable information. While I absolutely love and live for this podcast network, I think that, and I can't take credit for the statement, but I will fully 100% back it. Uh, this is from Brian Stockel, Brian the Carpenter over at Ike Live Bass U said that the Big Bass podcast from a digital standpoint is one of the most important media outlets that we have in the fishing industry because it's preserving history. And I absolutely back Very that. Interesting. I back that. I back that based on you backing that <laughs> deal. Sign, deal. Sign, sign sealed delivered. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really cool, man. Highly recommend it because they really like have factual stuff down to the date that Ken has, and Ter- Terry have been logging for years upon years. Wow. Which is cool because Ken has been tracking it, been in the industry, worked for Bassmaster, all this stuff. Terry grew up literally during and in, in the area of the California craze. So he's got all that information. Wait, there. Ter- what's Terry's last name? Batisti. He lives in Tennessee now. Okay. He does bass fishing archives. Okay. Yeah. D- I definitely recommend that. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's and if you didn't watch Jack Live where they dressed up for Halloween, I definitely recommend that too. <laughs> yeah, that was that. I watched that. That was an interesting one. I'm sure a lot of anglers watched that one. <laughs> but dude, nonetheless, we're gonna be we're gonna be keep rambling here if we keep on here. And you need yeah, to get on the road uh, for real. Thank you for taking out the time, and we're gonna make yeah, a good effort at keeping you on the show. Yeah, I'm. Thanks for having me on. It's it's a wild. Like this is the type of stuff that keeps me you know uh like it it keeps it real for me because to equate it to when i last was on versus now it's just really cool to be back on and i appreciate uh you we'll guys having me. yeah it's awesome we'll have to uh share the original show with people so you can see a pre even opens cal patrick oh my god i was probably even more of a maniac i haven't watched any of that stuff yes. oh <laughs> <laughs> heck yeah bro well the picture one more time to close out the <laughs> Here, let me let me zoom in on it first. I have I haven't zoomed out to my screen. That's what I look like, like pulling into Tennessee tomorrow at like 1 p.m. after like five cups of coffee. That's what I'll look like. There we like, go. <laughs> Just jazz, man. Hey, hey, is my boat ready? Yeah, yeah. Yo, bro, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And you just like, I like crack. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, awesome. Man. Oh, dude. But for real, drive safe, man. And uh, we'll catch up with you real soon. Great talking with you guys. Drive safe. We'll see you. Later. Man. Oh, I removed you. (laughs) Hopefully, I'll just like look like Kyle. Bye. Just everybody to their Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like if anybody from New York goes there, they should all get like that picture, like put on the stick, you know, like you'll see like anglers faces on the sticks just like an entire section of kyle patrick faces with the eyes but really do something well for like the camera zooming around through the crowd i think it would be quite hysterical but like it needs to be fat heads of that face (laughs) but like if you know like kyle like that's what you get with him all the time it's just 150 percent enthusiastic as all can be and just loves the sport of bass fishing and like in conversation like he like just in conversation the face on the Bassmaster profile pick if you say something that like makes his ears pop he'll just like, <laughs> like yeah that's a meme man hey kyle want to go fishing <laughs> yeah that's awesome uh absolutely love it oh, man. um again cool to see the uh the new york boys doing well obviously we love to see we have so many friends on the show that we're so honestly we we are so privileged to to have met through this show 100 be friends with to today some of our greatest friends in, in the planet uh i mean if we didn't start this show the person that may uh, uh officiated my wedding i would have never met uh so it's it's pretty nuts um and kyle's one of those people so uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Hope you got to meet and learn a little bit more about Kyle. Obviously, please follow him down below. We have our social media and everything in the descriptions for his stuff. Some of the absolute oh best like short videos. Real man. Yeah, it was like if, if Budweiser made a commercial about me as a bastard or something along the lines of that. It, it's so good. I, He's on like number eight or nine now, I think, right? It's so funny. It's like if Budweiser asked me to make yeah. a commercial. He messaged me one time. He's like, hey, dude, do you care if I use some of your Kaya content? I'm like, yeah, I 
I, I don't care. Go for it. And then he roasts me. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> True friendship. Yeah. That's all it's that okay. is. <laughs> I mean, it, it helps if you got somebody that likes to make fun of themselves from the beginning. So, yeah. Okay. Good. I can take it. It's a fair point. People in the comments, bring it on. Give me my shot. <laughs> I do actually enjoy it. It is really funny. Um, but, uh, folks, appreciate you guys as always. Um, Andy, is there anything else we might be missing for tonight's show? Uh, maybe oh. talk about what we have coming Thursday, uh, Friday yes. morning. Yes. Stephen Barden, our, our fisheries biologist, friend, hero, man of the year, however you want to call him. Uh, one of our favorite people. The Speaking dude. People, the man. Uh, he's going to be coming on, and uh, we'll be talking a bunch of fish biology, fish science. We have several topics for there that uh, we'll just say uh, you got to tune in for that episode to find out but uh steve barden coming on the show there uh for friday's episode and then we also have uh next tuesday night live is not scheduled just yet we have some guests we are trying to get on for that but next friday's episode uh is going to be steve estes from bass fish and electronics will be joining us as well for some fish talk. Sweet. Uh, we'll get the topics and guests lined up for you guys more as we get uh that more nailed down but um do you know what Lure Lab is coming out this week? So we can preview that. At this moment, I do not. I am working on it. I have a couple things in the plan, just trying to schedule in some time to get somebody on. And if yes. just stay tuned to the Instagram on the Lure Labs Instagram, and you'll know what it is by Friday evening. Yeah, that is the hardest part about podcasting, guys. It's not even the orchestration that goes into this. It is the coordinating uh, schedule. Is that a word? Orchestration? Orchestration. Yeah, maybe orchestra. I don't know the orchestra. That sounds better. The orchestra. Yeah, it's orchestrating. I think that's a word. Dude, I don't know why. So Ted Lasso, total side uh, curveball here, side tangent, whatever the hell I'm looking at. Um, was watching Ted Lasso. Uh, Lan and I started that, and he there's one episode where he kept saying one word. I can't remember which word it was. Uh, he mentioned, but you know what? When you say a word enough times, it doesn't sound like you're saying it right. It's like one of those. <laughs> it's yeah. what that just became. But either way, what we're trying to say is this whole podcast process, the hardest thing is scheduling. That is the hardest part. Um, which, saying so, if you guys want a guest, really want a guest uh, for us to have on, throw well, names out there. Throw us at, at social media. Send us an email. Um, re- you know, Requests are, by all means, anytime. Uh, we are willing to uh, accept those, and we will, I promise, uh, act on them as well. But... Um, Lure Lab, obviously, coming up every Saturday. If you can check that out, all of our podcast links are, of course, in every show description. Uh, yesterday, Business from the Bass Boat dropped a top three locations to live if you'd like to become a pro angler. L-I-V-E. Um, yeah, he was doing that um, with the advanced bass statistics. Um, so make sure you guys tune into that one. And then Thursday, episode two of Kayak Fishing Weekly is coming with Adam Riser, uh, which we... Justin and I filmed last week because tomorrow kicks off the Hobie BOS Tournament of Champions. Uh, and that's the biggest championship in all of kayak fishing. So good luck to those boys. Adam's fishing it. Justin's fishing it. Shout out to New York local Brandon Berlinski that fi- uh, is fishing it. Um, so there's uh, a lot of good buddies over there that I'll be rooting for and tuning into this weekend. Um, and the words, I think, 30 grand for the winner. Nice. Which, it's kind of interesting that we might have a kayak fishing weekly episode coming up about the kayak fishing industry, where it might be going. Uh, cause it was 45 last year. So, um, it's, it's interesting. 
Um, but nonetheless, um, the Hobie BOS actually just dropped their schedule. Uh, we'll do a full kayak fishing weekly show on it, but um, very interesting schedule. Put that out there. Uh, but nonetheless, Andy, folks, this has been fun. William Stench says he's been banned from a side chat on another show. Will, we will not ban you. Promise. Just depending on what you say. <laughs> he's been good so far. A lot of llama comments. We can get behind the llama comments. But uh, nonetheless, folks, appreciate y'all. And we'll see you on the next one. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Searsanga fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.